0: All right. Good morning. All right. uh, Kids, go ahead and raise your hands up for me. Where are you guys at? All right. First, I got a picture to show you. Okay. My first question is, who has ever had a Twix bar? All right. So that brown thing that you can see a little bit is a Twix bar. Ignore the animal print towel, this is not my picture, okay people, we don't have weird towels, Uh, or Twix bars, but that is a stack of $10,000, it is, that's $10,000, right there, $100 bills, it's not, again, not my picture, okay, not my picture, it was sent to me actually by Daniel Miller, I don't know if he found it on the internet, or if it's his, But if you need any Twix bars, maybe ask him. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) So $10,000. Kids, how many of you would like to have $10,000? I'm not gonna give it to you. But now let's, let's, let's change it up a little bit. What does it mean to owe somebody or to be in debt? Levi? You have to give them that much money. So let's say you owe me $10,000. How many of you want that? Nobody? Nobody wants to owe me $10,000? All right, so that's, that's $10,000. Now let's go to the next picture. So these are pallets of $100 bills, and that is $6 billion. So like if everyone in the entire world gave you a hundred dollar bill, you could make this picture. How many people would want that? Me. I mean like, but also like where are you going to store it, right? That's a, that's a lot of space. Now let's go back to the other question. How, how many of you want to owe someone $6 billion? Yeah, see, not, not that. Okay, the reason why we got these pictures, the reason why we're talking about these numbers is because in our passage today, one of the passages we're talking about today is, is the parable of the unforgiving servant. And in the parable of the unforgiving servant, this servant owes this king money. He owes him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents in today's money is $6 billion. So this guy owes this king this much money. And he doesn't have it. And so that king says, I'm going to throw you, I'm going to throw your family in jail, and then I'm going to sell everything you have until you can pay this debt back. The servant begs the king for mercy. He says, I don't have that much money. I'm never going to have that much money. I can't pay it back. And so the king forgives his debt. He, he lets it go. He lets, him, he lets the guy walk free. That guy leaves this king who's just forgiven $6 billion, and he tracks down this other servant who owes him 100 denarii. 100 denarii would be $8,219 in today's money. And so he has just been forgiven $6 billion, and he finds this guy who owes him about $8,000. So that, go back to the first picture, he owes him a little less than this much money, maybe like three quarters of a Twix bar. What do you think he does? How many of you think he forgives that guy? I'll give you a hint. It's called the parable of the unforgiving servant. He, he doesn't forgive him. He says, you need to pay me what you owe me. And then Jesus, at the end of the parable, says that like, the, the king then, the king, like, he, he doesn't forgive that guy. Other servants go and they tell the king, they say, hey, this guy you just, you just let out of that huge debt. He went out and tracked down somebody that owed him money and he didn't forgive him. And so the king then has the first guy, the guy that owed him $6 billion, thrown in jail until he can pay the whole debt off, which, which would be never. And Jesus says that that's what the father will do to us if we don't forgive, if we don't live like we've been forgiven. Because the reality is, is that when other people sin against us, Right? When, when maybe our brother or sister or a friend at school or even our mom and dad does something to us that's, that's not okay. Right? They're, they're, they're indebted to us. They've, they've sinned against us. But it's, it's more like this first picture. The second picture, that's more like all of our sin against God. But God in Christ has, has forgiven us. Right? He's like that king. He's let us go free. And so because we've been forgiven of this much, it should be easier for us to forgive others when they sin against us. And so kids, that, that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about forgiveness. And so I would encourage you to go home and ask your parents what, what they learned about how we've been forgiven and how we should forgive others. And parents, go home and, 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 and preach the gospel to your kids, right? Remind them about how much we've been forgiven in Jesus. And because we've been forgiven, we can forgive others as God in Christ has forgiven us. So let's, let's pray, and then we'll continue talking about forgiveness this morning. Father, we thank you that, that forgiveness is possible, that it's possible for us to be forgiven and it's possible for us to forgive others, that that even though we stood beneath a debt we could never afford, that you took pity on us, you had mercy on us, you showed us grace and sent Jesus to pay what we owed. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf. And that you've not only forgiven us, but you show us how to forgive. And so we pray today that you would, would help us to, to learn from your parable. That we'd send your spirit to, to convict us and challenge us and to, to enable us to forgive as we've been forgiven. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. So today we're we're talking about forgiveness. So we're we're continuing on in our in our series on gospel culture and again this is us saying that that we as a church we want to be a church that, that has both gospel doctrine and gospel culture. The things we believe together as a church, we want those to be centered around the gospel of Jesus, who he is and what he's done for us. And also, the way we live our lives, the way we do life together, the way we do life in our home, the way we do life out in this community, we want that also to be centered around the gospel. We want the truth that we believe to be lived out and put into practice In our lives, and so uh, we've been talking about these these things: uh, honesty and uh, forgiveness. And next week, we're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about reconciliation and and freedom from sin as we go forward. And we these things are, are not every aspect of gospel culture. They're just things we can point to and say, hey, here's, here's a way in which the gospel should be working itself out in our life. And so forgiveness is one of those. So we're talking about that today. And again, all of this today, we're going to be talking more about, about forgiveness of others, not forgiveness before God. And so everything I'm talking about in this sermon today is assuming that, that you're doing two things in your life. First of all, it's assuming that you've trusted in Jesus for forgiveness. And so if you haven't done that, if you haven't put your faith in him to have your sins forgiven in Christ, then nothing else I'm going to say today applies to you until you've done that. And so if that's you, I would encourage you to talk to somebody about that before you leave today. The second thing I'm assuming is that you are someone who who understands and believes that all sin is first and foremost against God. And so when when someone sins against me, my first concern for that person should not be, you need to make things right with me because I'm the most important person. My first concern should be that they're making things right with God and then hopefully making things right with me. And right? so in us as individuals, right, when we sin, our first concern should be, I need to make this right with God, and then I need to make this right with the other person. And making it right with the other person is part of making it right with God. But today, we're focused mostly on this, how we forgive one another. And so my goal today is, is twofold. I want to do two things. The first thing I want to do is I want to answer uh, really like one main goal and, and one like bonus goal, we'll say. The first one is, I want to answer two questions. The first question is, what is forgiveness? And the second one is, why is it important for us to forgive? And then that, that bonus goal is that it's my hope that as we go through this sermon, and I quote Tim Keller a bunch of times, that you're going to leave thinking, hey, I should read Tim Keller's book on forgiveness. Because You should. Like In some ways, if we could just all sit here and read this book together, like I would enjoy that more, but we're not going to do that because there's a better book than Tim Keller's book on forgiveness, and that's the Bible, and so we're going to talk about that, but I'm hopeful that you'll be like, hey, I should read that book that he quoted. So we're going to start with Ephesians 4, verse 32. So if you have a Bible, flip there. If not, it'll show up on the slides. Paul says in Ephesians 4, so Paul in the first three chapters of Ephesians, he's, he's focused on saying, this is what the gospel is. He does that. And then he, he turns a corner and he's like, all right, now because of the gospel, because of gospel doctrine, now you should live a certain way. You should have this, this culture among you. And he begins to tell them, these are, these are the ways you should live. And one of the things he says is verse 32. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ. Christ forgave you. The last time we went through a series on gospel culture, we talked about kindness. We talked about the first half of this verse today. We're talking about forgiveness, so we're focused on the last half. And what Paul says is he says, as followers of Jesus, people who have been forgiven by God in Christ, we should forgive others. And so the, the very first thing that should be clear to us from this verse is that forgiveness is not in an optional add-on to the Christian life. And it's not like, follow Jesus, and then if you want, forgive people. Paul tells us, like, this, this is a command. This is something we must do as his people. Because we've been forgiven by God in Christ, we must forgive other people. This verse also tells us how we forgive. So we want to know today what what forgiveness is and and why it's important, but but we also want to know how, how we do it. How do we forgive other people? We forgive them exactly like God in Christ has forgiven us. That's that's the the model for forgiveness that Paul gives us. And so to to unpack that, to understand more about how God in Christ has forgiven me, about how God in Christ has forgiven you, we're going to go to Matthew, to this this parable of the unforgiving servant. So so turn to Matthew 18. I'm going to read verses 21 through 35. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So in Matthew 18, like, what's going on is that they've, they've just been talking about, about how to deal with sin in the life of the church. So, like, when, when someone sins against someone else, like, what should you do? How should you handle it? And, he, and Jesus gives them a process to follow. And so, naturally, Peter begins thinking, well, when someone sins against me, like, should I just keep forgiving them? And really, like, the, and then Jesus answered the question. But the first question, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? Like, let's, 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 let's answer the first part of that question, right? Like, how, how often are people going to sin against us? Again, let's remember that we're people, so let's change it. How, how often do we sin against others? Seven times? Maybe eight, maybe nine? More than 77, right? So Peter asked, how many times should I forgive him? And he suggests seven, seven times. Now, at first, like, that seems a little ridiculous, right? It seems like Peter is putting a a pretty low bar. Like, once I get to seven, I'm out of the relationship. But the reality is that the the common recommendation during this day from the rabbis was three times. So Peter's, like, more than doubled it. So he's trying to be generous here. But Jesus responds by saying, not seven times, but, but 77 times. But I don't think we should see 77 as like a, a limit here, as like this, this hard and fast cap, as if we have this like note file in our phones where we're keeping track of how many times we've forgiven all of our friends. And once we hit 77, we're like, I just want you to know that, that you're done. We're done. I'm out. Because really, we, we see the, the same number progression back in Genesis 4. In Genesis 4, there's kind of this, this genealogy of, of Cain's descendants. Remember, Cain killed Abel. He's, he's the bad guy. And uh, Cain is like, essentially, he, he just wants someone to kill him. And God said that he's going to protect Cain, and that if someone hurts Cain, God's going to take revenge on them, and it's going to be sevenfold. Well, Cain has descendants and his descendants get, get worse until we get to this guy named Lamech who, who brags about how bad he is and how violent he is and about how murderous he is. And he says, if, if Cain's revenge was sevenfold, Lamech's revenge will be 77 fold. He's saying that he's like exponentially worse than Cain. He's, he's bragging about how bad he is. And so 77 isn't, isn't a hard and fast limit. It's just an obscenely high number, right? It, it's practically unlimited. That's what Jesus is saying to Peter. He's saying, no, like, don't, don't make a list. Don't keep track. Just keep forgiving. And then he unpacks that idea with a parable. And in this parable, the king represents God and his forgiveness of us in Christ And Keller points out in his book that you should all read that the king does four things in this parable. The first thing he does is he brings the man before him. He takes pity on him. He forgives the debt and he releases him. So first, he he brings the man in. So this this is step one of forgiveness. The king brings the servant before him and the offense is named. The servant owes a debt of 10,000 talents. So the king brings him in. He says, this is what you've done. And they talk about it. And this is perhaps the most important thing we need to learn about forgiveness. If you have not had a conversation with someone where the offense, the sin has been pointed out and talked about, then forgiveness hasn't taken place. Forgiveness is a conversation where the person is there, the offense is named. Now, I said forgiveness hasn't happened. Forbearance may have happened. So we're talking about forgiveness, but but what's forbearance? Forbearance is kind of like preemptive forgiveness. It's, it's deciding that that conversation can't take place, so we're just going to let that sin go. We're going we're gonna to forgive them without the conversation. Why? Well, maybe you don't have time to have that conversation. Right? Maybe... You and your wife are driving in the car somewhere, and you're, you're having a fight, but, but the kids are there. They don't have their headphones on. You're like, we can't talk about this right now. And so you're like, I'm going to just let this go, and we'll talk about it later. Not in like a threatening way, but in a gracious and kind way. Or maybe because of, because of trauma... Like, you're not at a place where you can have that conversation. Or they're not at a place where they can have that conversation. So sometimes forgiveness or forbearance is is possible. And and I think it is an alternative if we can actually do it. A lot of times, I think what happens is we say, like, I'm just going to forbear that because maybe I don't want to have that conversation. And then what we do is we just hold on to, to bitterness and anger and resentment. We say we let it go, but we hold on to it. Here, in this passage, we see the debt being named. The servant is brought before the king. The offense is clear. Now, this is going to be an awkward conversation. It's not something that we want to do, but it's something that we have to do in order that both people know what's taking place. In order for forgiveness to happen, that conversation has to take place. And the reason why it matters is because if we make light of sin, we are making light of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Right? If, if someone sins against us and we just say it, it doesn't matter, like that, that is not true. Right? Sin matters. Jesus died to pay for that sin, and we're saying like it's no big deal, which is effectively us saying Jesus' death on the cross is no big deal. And so sin has to be pointed at. It has to be acknowledged for what it is. That that conversation has to take place. So step one of forgiveness is is discussing the offense, talking about it. And I'm going to add a qualifier here. This conversation should happen in person, face-to-face. But if it can't, I would say at least use the same medium that was used for the sin. So like if somebody sins against you in an email, I'm sure lots of you still use email on the regular. But if somebody sins against you in email, like you can have that conversation in an email. Face-to-face would be better, but email is possible. So have the conversation. The second thing the king does is he takes pity on the servant. So the servant comes before him. Servant owes this this unfathomable debt. King says, you're going to prison. Your wife is going to prison. Your your kids are going to prison. You're, You're going to be sold into servitude until you can pay off this debt, which is never. I'm going to sell all your stuff too. The servant begs for mercy. He says, have patience with me. I'll pay it all back. This guy doesn't even understand how much he owes. And the king takes pity on him in response. He shows him mercy. Listen to what Keller says here. To have pity on somebody who has wronged you means you deliberately do the internal work of understanding the perpetrator's situation, the perpetrator's vulnerability. This is not a natural thing to do. Your heart wants to concentrate only on how bad the wrongdoer is and how much he deserves to suffer. But the king, representing God, thinks of the perpetrator not just as a villain, but as a human being with his own fears and grief. In, in forgiveness, we think about the other person's side. Because we think about the other person. We recognize that it's not just somebody that's done something wrong to us. It's somebody who's who's created in God's image. Think about what their situation was like, what their circumstances were like, what what led to that. What things have have maybe they gone through in their life that causes them to treat people like that. We recognize that that it's not just somebody that's sinned against us. It's a a fellow, broken, image-bearer of God. And we see the king doing this here. He considers not just the debt, but, but the man. That's step two. We, we remember that, that they're a human being made in God's image. They need Jesus just as much as we do. The third thing the king does is he, he forgives the debt. He cancels it. Keller says this gets us to, to the very heart of forgiveness. In canceling the debt, the king absorbs the loss himself. I don't think we often think about this part of it. But like that, that $6 billion is gone. It's not like when the king forgives it that he just like gets it from somewhere else. And letting the guy not pay the debt back, he is, he's absorbing this loss. So the, the king or the guy owes him 10,000 talents. A talent is is 20 years wages for, for a common laborer. And so if we use a, a yearly salary from uh, today of, of thirty thousand dollars, that makes a talent worth six hundred thousand. Total debt six billion. That that's me showing my, my math work here. Right? Six billion. That's that's like that's unimaginably large. Like that that's a debt that, that can't ever be paid back which makes it an even more incredible loss for the king just to absorb. When we choose to forgive, we're we're choosing to experience loss. Listen to this quote from Keller. He says, If a friend borrows your car, totals it through reckless driving, and has not any ability to remunerate you financially, you may say, I forgive you, but the price of the wrong does not evaporate into the air. You either find the money to buy a new car or you go without one. Either way, forgiveness means the cost of the wrong moves from the perpetrator to you and you bear it. Forgiveness, then, is a form of voluntary suffering. In forgiving, rather than retaliating, you make a choice to bear the cost. Forgiveness means that when you want to make them suffer, instead you refuse to do it. And this refusal is hard. It is difficult and costly, but through it you are absorbing the debt yourself. Some think that by remaining angry, they are giving the wrongdoers what they deserve, but in reality, you are enabling their actions to continue to hurt you. If instead, bit by bit by bit, you grant forgiveness in this way, eventually you'll begin to feel forgiveness. We forgive even though it costs us. That's step three. Last thing, number four, we see the king, the king lets him go. He, he, he releases the guy. He moves him from, from being a criminal and a, and a potential servant to being a, a free citizen in good standing in his kingdom. This means that their relationship is, is reconciled. Instead of being creditor and debtor, now it's, it's king and, and citizen. It goes back to the way it was. For us, When we forgive, we're we're reconciling our relationships. We're moving back things in the relationship to how they were before. And Keller puts it all together for us. He says, to forgive then is first, step one, to name the trespass truthfully as wrong and punishable rather than merely excusing it. Second, it's to identify with the perpetrator as a fellow sinner rather than thinking how different from you he or she is. It is to will their good. Third, it is to release the wrongdoer from liability by absorbing the debt oneself rather than seeking revenge and paying them back. Finally, it is to aim for reconciliation rather than breaking off the relationship forever. If you omit any one of these four actions, you are not engaging in real forgiveness. That's what forgiveness is. And so if we're not doing those things that we see the king do in this passage— we're not forgiving as God in Christ forgave us. So that's what forgiveness is. So why, why then is it important? Why, why should we do it? Well, let's look at the rest of the parable. This, this newly forgiven, newly released servant, he, he leaves the king, and he goes after this servant who owes him 100 a, a denarii. So using our, our numbers from before, a denarii is a, a day's wages. So a denarii would be like $82.19. This guy was 100 of them. That's 8,219. Now, I think we have a slide that shows these numbers side by side. Now, if you look at this, you'll see that 8,219 is smaller than 6 billion. And I actually, I checked this with Daniel. And he, as a math teacher, verified that this is the case. Let's see those pictures again, a Twix bar, $10,000, stack of hundreds, almost as tall as a Twix bar. The next one, this is $6 billion. Those are, those are pallets. A pallet is about four feet by four feet. It's actually 40 by 48 for most pallets. Uh, and there are 72 pallets in this picture. And based on how wide the pallets are, they they look to be about six feet high. So to put this in perspective, think about a football field. A hundred yards long, 300 feet. If it was as wide as it is long and it had pallets covering it, that would be $100 bills stacked about six feet high, $6 billion. Compared to that teeny tiny... Stack on that animal print towel. Right? Com- compared to it, like that tiny stack would be nothing. Right? Like if you had that much money, you could use that small stack to like light fires in your backyard and you wouldn't even care. That guy was owed 82-19, and he refused to forgive his fellow servant. He has him thrown into prison. The king hears about it. He, he cancels the, the debt cancellation and has the unforgiving servant thrown into prison. And Jesus closes the parable with, with a warning. Remember, Peter is asking, he's asking, how many times should I forgive my brother? And Jesus answers the question. He says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. First, let's talk about what this warning is, is not saying. It's not saying that, that our forgiveness of our brother earns Jesus' forgiveness. Right? Think about the parable. In the parable, the king forgives the debt of the unforgiving servant when he asks. Right? He, he hasn't done anything to earn that debt forgiveness. It just happens. In the same way, right, Jesus doesn't forgive us only if we forgive others. He, he forgives us because he chooses to when we put our faith in him. Like, he's, he's done it. Our debt is canceled. The reality is that because we've been forgiven, we should forgive. And if we're not forgiving, it, it's either because we're not rightly understanding our forgiveness, or it's because we haven't actually been forgiven. I think it's helpful to think about it this way. Right? We've, we've been going through this parable. We've been, we've been talking about this guy who, who owes this huge debt. But it's, it's helpful for me to think about what his life must have been like before this debt is forgiven. Right? He, he owes $6 billion. 10,000 talents. Like an in, in insane number. And so this guy probably lived most of his life stressed and panicked and worried and anxious about money. Because he knows at some point that king, who's the most powerful guy in the land that he owes money to, is going to come calling for him. So he's probably consumed by this debt that was over him. But then he's forgiven. The, The debt is wiped away. So you would think that when he leaves that king's office with that debt forgiven, that his life is going to be different. His life is going to be changed. He's going to live in a completely different way. But he goes out and he's living exactly like he was living before. He's still consumed with money. And so he finds this guy that owes him peanuts compared to his debt. And he chokes him because he can't pay. Also notice that that guy says almost the exact same thing he said to the king. He says, have patience with me. I'll pay it. What would it have looked like if instead he lived as one who just had this massive debt forgiven? Do you think you would have been concerned about the loss? Or do you think maybe he would forgive as he had been forgiven? Or instead, he, he would have done exactly what Paul tells us to do in Ephesians. You see, when Paul tells us to, to forgive as we've been forgiven, he's not just giving us the, the, the model of forgiveness. He's not just saying like, hey, this is, this is how you should forgive people. He's doing that. He's saying forgive people as God in Christ has forgiven you. But he's also giving us the motivation for our forgiveness. Why should we forgive other people? Why is it important for us to forgive? Because God in Christ has forgiven us. And so, I don't, I don't know what it is in, in your life, in your heart, that is difficult for you to forgive. Maybe, maybe it's everything all the time. Maybe it's one specific thing that's happened in your life that you just can't let go of. Right? I know that forgiveness is hard. I know that there are people in this world that do incredibly heinous things to other people. There is devastating brokenness that we face. Like it, is, it is difficult. It is costly to forgive. But I think that when we realize the, the, the weight of what we've done, when we recognize that, that God in Christ has forgiven us of, of all of our sin, past, present and future, for, for, for all time, I think when we dwell on the fact that we have that kind of forgiveness that we've had that six billion dollar debt cleared in our name, right It's easy to forget easier, not easy. It's easier to forgive what that one person in one moment did to us. Right? We will be able to pay the cost of, of that forgiveness because we know the cost that's been paid on our behalf. And so when you're struggling to forgive, the response for us isn't to, to focus and dwell on and and. and just sulk in the wrong that's been done to us. The response for us is to is to look to Jesus and to remember how much God has forgiven us in him. It's to, to think about those images, right? That, that small stack of hundreds compared to that football field full of our sin. And to know that if God has forgiven me that, I can forgive what they've done. Even if what they've done is is. is particularly bad. And so that's, that's the takeaway for us today. If we want to forgive other people, then the response for us is to dwell on the forgiveness we've received in Jesus. And so as we transition to the Lord's Supper this morning, I would encourage you to, to spend some additional, some intentional time, right? Don't just, don't just get up and go, Spend some time in your seat thinking about forgiveness. Asking the Spirit to, to search your heart and show you places where you haven't forgiven other people. Right? Are there places where, where unforgiveness has led to bitterness in you? Are there places where, where you have, you're, you're holding on to, to anger and resentment instead of having that conversation? Ask the Spirit to convict you of the ways in which you're not forgiving as God in Christ has forgiven you and ask the Spirit to fix your eyes on Jesus so that you're motivated to to let go, to have that conversation, to push toward forgiveness and reconciliation with others. So let's pray, and we'll continue in worship this morning. Father, I thank you that in Jesus that you have forgiven us more than we can even understand. That we can live the rest of our lives growing in our understanding of just how much worse we are than we thought we were. and just how much better you are than we thought you were. We pray that you would send your spirit to remind us not not of the wrong we've done, but of the grace we've been shown in Jesus. As we meditate on and dwell on and and, and glory in the forgiveness that you've shown us. That you'd enable us to forgive others in the same way. That we would not keep a record of wrongs. We would not keep a tally of the times we've forgiven others. But that we would forgive freely and fully just like we've been forgiven. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf. That you put yourself in our place and paid our debt so that we could go free. So that we could have our relationship with your father reconciled. So that we can move from from being debtors to being citizens in good standing in your kingdom now that as we continue in worship, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, and as we respond with with singing, that you would send your Spirit to enable us to respond to the good news of who you are and what you've done for us rightly. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.